I guess I could be wrong, but by my count, we have young people going to at least three different camps this summer. And we have a great group of young people. And we're thankful for them and for their desire to, uh, to get closer to God and closer to one another. And I understand at camp this past week at Hensel, a number of our young people went and just were outstanding campers. I know all of them were. Whether a young person goes to camp or not, they're special because they're ours. They really are. And we have young people at camp right now. The young person, Adam Orr, with his boys, are at Camp Ida right now with a group of other young people. And uh, there will be another camp coming up very soon. We encourage this. It's a good work. We're glad that those that were at camp have returned. Seven words. Seven words summarize tonight's lesson. God wants us on fire for Him. God wants us on fire for Him. It is wrong to be chilled by formalism. And it's just as wrong to be in the heat of fanaticism that really doesn't know God and His will. Extremes are to be avoided. But the Bible plainly indicates God wants us on fire for Him. God wants us on fire for Him. Let's look at that a little more closely. God our creator and sustainer and redeemer, that's who we're talking about. You and I might be able to get excited and enthused about a ball game, about a particularly good meal, about a hobby, but God wants us, that means you and me, it means every one of us to be on fire, to have a sense of passion, to have a great sense of zeal for him, the relationship that we want to have with him. Zeal can be defined as a single-mindedness that exhibits itself in enthusiasm, devotion, love, and knowledge. A single-mindedness that is characterized by this, this idea of love and devotion, knowledge, passion. Tonight I have called this lesson, Godly Zeal and Ungodly Extreme. Godly zeal and ungodly extremes. Because there's such a need for godly zeal in the church. Godly zeal would do an awful lot to cure some of the problems that congregations in many places face. God wants us on fire for him. 
But misguided zeal can be one of the most troubling things any church faces. As someone who has been preaching for just a while now, I do not know that I have seen more misguided zeal at any point in the last 30 or 40 years. I say that humbly, but I say it sincerely and firmly, believing that it is true even in the church of the Lord. Godly zeal is to be proclaimed and upheld. God wants us to be on fire for Him. But at the same time, zeal without knowledge can really hurt the body of Christ and damage souls. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. What I'd like to do tonight is focus primarily on two passages from the book of Titus. The first one is Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. That passage deals, I think, very marvelously with godly zeal. And then, just a little ways off from Titus 2, 11 through 14 and 15, I'd like for us to focus on Titus 3, especially verses 8 through 11. Ungodly extremism. Godly zeal and ungodly extremism. Let's focus first on Titus chapter 2. When you look at Titus chapter 2, notice especially verse 14. We are a people for God's own possession, Christians are, and we are to be zealous for good works. That word zeal is the word in the original from which we get zealots. We are to be zealots for good works. We're to be fervent and to boil as we think about doing good to the glory of God. When you focus on this passage, Titus 2, 11 through 15, a number of areas are given in which godly zeal should be shown. We can see throughout the Word of God something about this. There should be godly zeal for the name of God. In the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 25, there's an interesting character called Phinehas. He's the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron. And Phinehas is a person who is zealous and jealous for God and for his name. And because of action that he zealously takes, the wrath of God, the anger of God subsides with God's own people. We ought to be people that have a great commitment and enthusiasm for God and his name. Secondly, we ought to be zealous for the worship of God. Look, if you will, at John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, Jesus has a fire for God and the things of God that causes him to 
turn the tables of the money changers, to clean up the temple. And the disciples remembered concerning him, Psalm 69, 9, that zeal for God's house would eat him up. The name of God and the worship of God are things we ought to be zealous about. Do we worship God with knowledge and love and enthusiasm? And when the worship of God is far removed from the will of God, are we, are we sad about that? Focus now a little more on Titus 2. Because Titus 2 says we should be zealous about the truth of God. The truth of God. Look at verse 11 and reference is made to the first coming or appearing. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all, man, all men. Jesus has come. So we ought to be zealous about the truth of God that God has come down to this world that grace has been extended to man in Christ if you look at verse 13 references made to the second coming that we are to look forward to the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus the truth of God we should be zealous for that. The deity of Jesus is seen in this passage. Our great God and Savior. Catch it? And as we work our way through, we can even see something about the salvation of God. Look at Titus 2, 13 and 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us and purify us. Truth of God is something concerning which we ought to be zealous. What God has done in Christ to save. No wonder why the Bible says God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. With enthusiasm and passion. Based on loving knowledge and a single-minded devotion. Look again at Titus. Godly zeal shows itself in the truth of God by holiness. The holiness that God wants us to exhibit. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, Titus 2, 11 and 12. Living soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. Denying ungodliness and worldliness and living soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. I'm smiling because a little one almost got away, but she was retrieved, and all is well. Holiness. That we love the things God loves, and we shun the things that God finds repulsive.
the Bible gives this idea of zeal then. And it causes us to take personal inventory and ask, am I zealous about matters that God wants me to have real passion? Can we get passionate about business dealings and sport teams and hobbies but lack the single-minded devotion characterized by enthusiasm and passion and knowledge and love. Think about that. That's Titus 2. Notice this finally in verse 15. These things speak and rebuke with all authority. God's word is to be authoritatively proclaimed, but we are to remember the authority of God. The authority of God and to be passionate and enthusiastic about that as we live for Jesus. Now, I'd already said that I think that we are living in a time when many members of the church even have become concerned about misguided zeal. Open your Bibles to Titus 3. Titus 3. Look at verses 8 through 11 with me. Here is what I'm talking about. Many congregations and certainly every person in this assembly is concerned about healthy teaching and holding to the pattern of sound words. 2 Timothy 1.13 But I'd like to suggest, listen, that it is just as wrong to bind things God has not bound as it is to loose things God has bound. It is just as wrong to bind things that God has not as it is to loose things that God has bound. What do you mean by that? If one might have a sense of playing fast and loose with the Bible by loosening what God binds and say, well, you don't really need to do that. There can also be individuals with misguided zeal who bind things God never bound in his word. Blessed are the balanced and blessed are the zealous in a biblical sense. Now look at Titus chapter 3. I mentioned the camps earlier. And if our young people start thinking, my camp's better than your camp, my camp's better than yours, that's something that we want to stomp out as quickly as we can because lighthouses and good works are not in competition. It wasn't that many years ago that they went to three camps, but they were three different camps than the ones that you're all going to now, these three. If the word of the Lord is being taught and Christian relationships are being encouraged, 
thank God. Now look at Titus 3. Ungodly extremism. Ungodly extremism is when zeal is misguided and misdirected. And notice verse 8 says, Insist on the things that are good and right in the sight of God. And it goes on to say, Encourage everyone to be careful to maintain good works before God. What's healthy? And relating to Him and to one another. In looking at unhealthy extremes... You'll see this beginning in verse 9. Unhealthy extremism is called foolishness in Scripture. Foolish controversies and genealogies. There have been in the church, and there certainly are in the world, 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5, people that have an unhealthy craving for controversy. They can make things controversial and conjure up controversy, whether it exists or not. Well, Lord knows there's enough controversy in the world and even in the church that unhealthy extremism ought to be avoided. Notice the passage again. Not only is unhealthy extremism foolish, it is described as factious. What do you mean by that? Look at the terminology of Titus 3 and verse 9. It says that these people are divisive as Christians here is a very helpful question regarding whether we're talking about godly zeal or unhealthy extremism. Ungodly extremism is what is being said and done God-honoring, true to Scripture, soul-saving and encouraging, and is it church edifying? Is what be, is being said and done God-honoring, truth-embracing, soul-encouraging and saving, and is it church edifying? I say this because some of us who preach are some of the worst culprits in emphasizing what is extreme and what is not healthy. And at Westside, if a teaching is out of left field, you might be quick to observe it. But I really believe after being here 20 years, if teaching is too rigid, we might sometimes be willing to just kind of let that slide. Even though it's not God-honoring, it's not true to Scripture. It is not soul-saving and soul-encouraging. And it's not building up the body of Christ. 
I think a lot of people are in that same camp. But it's not a camp that those that want to be biblically zealous will stay in. Look at the passage. Not only are these people foolish as far as they're into foolish questionings and genealogies. Can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? Foolish questions. They are into being divisive and God hates discord among the brethren. Proverbs 6. Yet again, the text says, look at Titus 3, 9 through 11, that they engage in what is fruitless, things to which there is no profit. No profit. Now somebody with misguided zeal might have a hard time seeing that. If we were to go back, Will Mayfield, and talk to Saul of Tarsus, Paul, he might have had a hard time initially seeing that with his background and what he was doing to the church, foolish questions and controversies and genealogies, factious and hurting the church of the Lord, and fruitless. May God give us a sense of humility that will help us see ourselves properly. It ought to be a real prayer. Number four, look at this. In Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 11... This person's practice is fatal. It's fatal. Brother Bill, it says of the divisive person, reject them after the first and second admonition. They subvert things. They sin. And they are self-condemned. That's very strong terminology. From an apostle. That's why I say we have to be careful here to be fair. What is doctrinally fast and loose should be shunned, but what binds things that God hasn't bound, we need to be careful there too. Now, ungodly extremism as we kind of wind this lesson down. Ungodly extremism is wrong because it fights the wrong foe. Godly extremism is wrong because it fights the wrong enemy. One of the great terrors of all wars is that a lot of times people are killed and maimed by friendly fire. Isn't that the truth? That needs to be avoided in the body of Christ. Can I get an amen there? Friendly fire. Sometimes people who know next to nothing, and maybe you know next to nothing about what I'm talking about tonight, and I hope so. 
But I want you to be aware of the reality that just as there are teachers who play far too loose with God's word, there are also teachers that bind things that they shouldn't try to bind on anybody. And one's views can be personal, and that can be their view. However, forcing others to abide by it should make us stand up and say, this is not right. Fighting the wrong enemy. That's a problem with sinful extremism. Collateral damage. People caught up. And one of the things that concerns me is I am seeing churches that are being divided and hurt and souls that are being lost because of ungodly extremism. Secondly, ungodly extremism not only deals with the wrong enemy, it uses the wrong weaponry. <laughs> the wrong weaponry. Here's what I mean. The Word of God can be used. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Ephesians 6, 17. But the Word of God can be used in such a way that shows that the one using the sword doesn't have the Spirit of God. Jude, verse 19. You might be using a weapon given to us by God but you have to ask yourself, am I using this weapon in a way that will please my God? Ungodly extremism doesn't think very much about that. You can be sliced and diced, cut, mutilated, and beheaded with Scripture, and it can all be done by a person who lacks the Spirit of God while using the word of the Spirit. What a shame. Third. Ungodly extremism uses the wrong energy. Ephesians 6 and verse 10 says... Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. That's a problem sometimes. Am I fighting the right enemy with the right weapon? And am I doing so with the right strength, the Lord's strength and not my own? It's easy to fight giants wearing Saul's armor, but David did not try that. It would have weighed him down. Lastly, ungodly extremes have the wrong attitude. Fight with the wrong attitude. We need to think about our words and our actions. The wrath of God, nope, the wrath of man, does not produce the righteousness of God. James 1 and verse 20. 
the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, I know it's a little bit different lesson, certainly different from this morning. But it is a needed lesson, and I hope a thoughtful and humble and friendly warning that everybody will consider. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold of life eternal, whereunto thou was called, and just make the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 1 Timothy 6.12, it is a war, the good warfare is to be fought. 1 Timothy 1.18 But we want to minimize collateral damage. We want to use the weapon that God has given us, the sword of the Spirit, in a way that shows we have the Spirit living in us. We also want to fight these battles in the strength of the Lord and with an attitude that is healthy. If we cannot pray for the salvation of people's souls sincerely because we're so upset about what they've said and done, something's wrong. Something's wrong. If we do not yearn for them to make their life right and to ask ourselves, are we right with you, Lord? Something's wrong. There's a group among us that seems to delight in just propagating divisiveness. And if you don't preach and act like they do, you are called a sissy. And you are mocked and belittled. I think it's far better for us to choose the spirit of Jesus who could be firm, and yet no one ever doubted that he loved souls. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. If someone needs to come to Jesus tonight, we're not binding what God is, has loosed. We're binding what God's bound. We're asking you to simply do what the Lord says in his word to be saved. To respond to God's grace in belief. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith it's impossible to be well pleasing to him. To respond to Jesus in repentance. I want to go your way God not mine. Luke 13, 3 through 5. God commands all people everywhere to repent. Acts 17, 30. God wants everyone to confess. To acknowledge with their mouth Jesus is God's son. God wants people everywhere to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. We've got a baptistry here. The water is warm, not simply because it's 102 for a high today. If you need to come to Christ, it's a great time. And for those of us who are Christians, not just what we say but what we show helps people to come closer to Christ. Don't just say what is right. Show what is right by your life. Let us stand and sing.